welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris, and I am not joined by my usual co-host, Lee. In bum, st- bum, bum. Oh my god! We are joined by a ringer host. We have my lovely wife, Claire. <laughs> ringer. <laughs> I don't know because I'm wearing a ring. Yeah, why not? Yeah. That, that works nice. No, um, as as we've kind of made aware, the listeners are uh, Lee is in the middle of uh, finishing off her master's degree at the moment while also working full time. Everything's a little bit much for her at the moment, uh, understandably so. Um, so we've asked a couple of our regular friends to come in and host an episode or two and fill in in that meantime. So we have Claire jumping in for this week's episode yeah. and, uh, we'll tease at the end who will be joining us for next episode. But after that, we should hopefully get back to the regular swing of things with Lee. Um, and we're still off doing the, uh, the Patreon stuff as usual, but yeah. Can we start with what's that movie about? Of what I thought this movie was going to be first. Oh, I was going to do some preamble before that. We'll oh. get we'll get to that. I was okay. going to ask you, Claire. Oh. <laughs> proper proper introduction, Claire. Hello. Welcome to the show again. It's it's been a while. What was the last time? What was the last one you and I did together? Was it divorce Italian style? I think it was. Which was, was that a, what it was actually called? Yeah, which was a okay. great fun movie. That was that was good. That was a really fun one. Uh, unlike what mm. we <laughs> what just we just, we just had together. a bit of a bummer. <laughs> yeah, but uh, how have you been? Oh, you know, this and that. It's a busy time of year at school. Yeah. Keeping keeping busy. Do you do you like that I'm having this co- like how, how have you been? Like as if I haven't seen you every day. <laughs> but, but then also you're like, How have you been? Like, yeah. What you been up to? Well, this is normally the point in the episode at the beginning where I ask Lee or whoever I guess are like, Have you seen anything or watched anything recently that you've uh, been really enjoying? Oh, beyond the normal. Oh, no, just anything. Like, oh, you know, I mean, been what we, literally what we just watched excluded. Oh, but. okay. I've been watching Survivor and I've been watching Drag Race, many different iterations of. Any, any movies you've seen lately oh, that you enjoy? Okay, what have I been watching movies? <laughs> this is a, this is a Ooh, movie podcast. <laughs> wait, wait, you don't want my TV show recommendations? Oh, no, I'll, I, will, I will happily um, take them because, oh, no, I got you it. Won't. You won't take well, not, reality. Not your ones, but yeah. yeah t- I mean, I meant TV show <laughs> recommendations in general. From others. <laughs> yeah. Um, what movie did I see that I really liked? I'm blanking. I liked my watching of everything everywhere all at once. That's that's yeah. good. And now I'm seeing seeing googly eyes placed on. Um, we're have, about to have an election here in yep. Australia, so we've got some campaign signs that have had googly eyes put on them, and it's so wonderful. It just yeah, I, I'm glad to see, hear that you're the exact same as me. Anytime you see googly eye, googly eyes placed on something, now you just think mm-hmm. Waymond oh, trying to live his make best life. Cr- art and crafts <laughs> in the classroom a lot more fun too. Yeah. In future, mm. yeah. But no, that that's an amazing movie. That one, I, yeah, yeah. Really enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, that's been a while. Yeah. Oh, well, we're getting to see Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers tomorrow, though. <laughs> Spo- spoiler alert, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or to place this in a time, we're getting to go see that. In a, I'm excited. We're getting to see that in a cinema instead of on Disney Plus. That'll be fun. Yeah. But. Uh, what is the polar opposite of Chippendale Rescue Rangers? I would happily say is Nicholas Rogue's 1980 <laughs> film, Bad Timing. <laughs> My God. <laughs> this, this, yeah. So th- this is a film I had never seen before. Um, Neither, well. obviously. Uh, let's, let's do a plot synopsis. Uh, amid the decaying elegance of Cold War Vienna, psychoanalyst Dr. Alex Linden Art Garfunkel becomes mired in an erotically charged affair with an with the elusive Melina Flaherty, Teresa Russell. When their all-consuming passion takes a life-threatening turn, Inspector Nutasil, Harvey Keitel, is assigned to piece together the sordid details, acclaimed for its innovative editing, raw performances, and stirring musical score, featuring Tom Waits, The Who, and Billie Holiday. Nicholas Rogue's bad timing is a masterful, deeply disturbing foray into the dark world of sexual obsession. Whew. Well, that, that so sums a good it up. Tuesday night watch for us. Yeah, <laughs> Ooh, love it. Yeah, 
Um, so right off the bat, like neither of us had ever seen this before. Um, initial thoughts. Clip. So my what's that movie about was yes. you said Art Garfunkel. No, no, Art Garfunkel. Art Garfunkel. In an erotic thriller. And recently we just watched like a week, two weeks ago or whatever, um, Basic Instinct. And I'd never watched yes. Basic Instinct for the first time. So in my mind, I said erotic thriller. All I know about erotic thriller now is that. So... Well, that's, I like, just that's had, like the be-all, end-all yeah, of if you think so erotic thriller. You that think, is what it should yeah. be. So I was like, well, it's just the 1980 version of that, right? Maybe a little less risque because people kept talking about it, but obviously mm, there's, there's a lot on show and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, this was not the same kettle of fish. It, yeah, it, it's not exactly a murder mystery or a, like a who whodunit in the sense. Mm. It's a... Th- like, I would... Uh, I, I expected erotic thriller based on that description and everything. Like, you know, if you look on Letterboxd and on IMDb, yeah. it says drama, thriller. I Thriller, it's, it's clutching at straws for me, like, yeah. to consider it that. It's, I understand where it's coming from, but at the same time, it's like... I was more thrilled by Death on the Nile when I knew <laughs> oh, what was happening. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a savage take, because, hey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a movie we watched, but Chris was not impressed, and I was, eh. It, it's fine. It's it's yeah. I'm I, a big Agatha Christie fan, but yeah. No, it's more like with with Kenneth Branagh doing the Poirot. I'm like, lean in. Don't try and be Spielbergy. Like, oh, I'm look at me doing my one shots. Like, no, lean into your but, era. Be a 1940s like. Be a period piece schmaltz, like Schlockfest. Do that. Lean into what the subject matter is. Don't Absolutely. try and make it look flashy and modern. Like, that's my that's my death on the David Nile David <laughs> all the way. Yes, that's exactly. That's a good, like, tagline for him if he runs for office. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, back, back to bad timing. It's one... Watching it, it's it's. I'd known about it obviously, knowing the Criterion Collection and Nicholas Rogue films for quite a while, and it was one that I had all like. Once we'd started doing the podcast, I had purposely like, oh well, I'll get around to it one day, and didn't kind of seek out. I was like, eh, you know, I'll get to that that come twenty twenty two or something, and it didn't quite live up it to the expectation I had in mind. It's. This is the point where I want to kind of ask you, like, are you familiar with Nicholas, Nicholas Rogue as a filmmaker? No, um, I was about to say, tell me more about Nicholas Rogue because I have um, no idea except for this film that I just watched. Okay. I didn't even remember his name was Nicholas Rogue until you just said it. Yeah, Nicholas Rogue is a filmmaker that I find very... Is it Rogue or Rouge? Uh, Rogue. <laughs> it's Rogue. It's Rogue. Uh, he's a filmmaker I find very interesting. He's an English filmmaker. Um, okay. And basically he he got his start within the industry uh, working as a um, camera and uh, camera operator, essentially. Um, and then he would do be the like director of photography on second unit. Um, like if you look at his IMDb, uh, I just say that because I have it open in front of me. The first, long. you know how it opens up to like what they have the most credits for instantly. So yep. it's like Brad Pitt now. It opens on producer, and you're like, yep, mm-hmm. no, you're, you're Brad an actor. Pitt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it opens for him camera and electrical department. Oh, <laughs> uh, he is uh, the second unit photographer on Lawrence of Arabia, Doctor Zhivago. Um, you know, so he's been busy. Yeah, he was a clapper loader on like back in the day, focus puller, camera operator. Uh, he worked really as a cinematographer at the beginning of kind of where he, he was a camera department, second unit cinematographer, and then moved up to cinematographer where he did stuff like Mask of the Red Death, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, Far From the Maddening Crowd, like a lot of really big, in- uh, Fahrenheit 451 as well, like interesting big films. Is the Far From the Maddening Crowd more modern or is that a remake that I'd watched? Uh, that is 1967. Okay. You're thinking of the remake. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The remake. Yes. With uh, Carrie just, I will say uh, Nicholas Rogue died in 2018 <laughs> at the age of 90. Well, I would have seen the remake before in 2018. Yeah. Uh, but he did <laughs> but not yes. shoot that. <laughs> but it wasn't until uh, 1970 that he actually started directing himself. And performance in 1970 was his 
his first film. Performance. Performance, it's called. Uh, you, uh, it's- My new film is going to be called Play. <laughs> Uh, why why performance is interesting and actually is considered to it's in like the BFR uh, the sight and sound top two hundred and fifty. Oh, I shouldn't have time. made fun of it. <laughs> yeah, no. uh, it, it's the first film that utilized Mick Jagger outside of the Rolling Stones. Actually, it stars Ooh. Mick Jagger as a performance, and it's yeah, it's a kind of interesting film. Um, Something to go into at some other point in time. Mick- but who is the first? Um, like a musical artist to be in films? Uh, successfully in a, in a crazy successful yeah. way. Elvis. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. It's, I was going to Elvis. Elvis. Yeah. And then following on from Elvis, you've got the Beatles, the Monkees. Yeah. Um, and then which would lead me to uh, one of the other things we have here, David Bowie, yeah. which is uh, Nicholas Rogue, which is the film we'll be covering next episode. Whoop, whoop. Uh, the Man Who Fell to Earth, which he did in 1976. But before that, like, I'm jumping a little ahead. Yeah. So uh, Rogue does performance in 1970, causes a huge splash in the sensation with that film. It's a great piece of kind of pop art and is an interesting new style of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And then from that, he then, 1971, creates what is quite possibly my favourite, I'll do air quotes, Australian film, uh, Walkabout. Uh, also Criterion Questy. Yes. Like I no- mean, Criterion Collection. <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> Not it's, just the podcast. It's in like the 20s, I want to say. <laughs> okay, so um, early. But a film that I adore. And then uh, followed that up in 1973 with Don't Look Now, the uh, which I would actually call an erotic thriller, uh, starring Donald Sutherland, Sutherland and Julie Christie. A fucking amazing film. Absolutely amazing film. Uh, then he does Man Who Fell to Earth, and now we come in at Bad Timing Ooh. in 1980. Um, I didn't want to talk about Man Who Fell to Earth too much because that's that's for next that's episode. No, that's <laughs> next time. But so that's that's kind of what brings him to this point. But you're probably sitting there being like, "Why the fuck are you? You're just rambling at this point, Chris." <laughs> ha- I I know none. I'm of, used to it. You're like I've had, I know of Walkabout because I live yeah. with you, but that's there's one Nicholas Rogue film I guarantee you have seen. Ooh, ooh, and it Let's came. Let's put out, a wager down. I all the money in the world. All the money in the world. I you love have seen. This. You have. He has a shared bank account. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's, <laughs> all all my money will become your money. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's no prenup, folks. Um, in 1990, <laughs> yeah. Nicholas Rogue directed a film starring Angelica Houston called The Witches. I have seen that. Yes. So all your money is now my <laughs> no, money. No, no, I didn't wager anything. <laughs> Damn you it. just wagered. Yes. Uh, that is, I would say, arguably Nicholas Rogue's last good film. She's so, oh, she is everything as the Grand <laughs> as High the Witch. Grand wi- yeah. And yeah. We, you, we watched the Zemeckis remake yeah, we did. together, which was one which of the was a thing. most Bitterly yeah. disappointing films of yeah. Twi- As of, someone, of, we're in the middle of relished, a pandemic, and that's still I hated watching that. And I relished in that that novel. I read it to kids, and mm. there's this chapter where it's like, and even the teacher that's reading it to you, she could be a witch too, and it's just so good to look <laughs> at their faces in that moment, and they're like, wait a minute, what? What is she saying? What are these words meaning? Wait a minute, she could be a witch. Oh, it's so good. Oh my so that God. story being part of in, in that movie, excellent. You, the kids are going to go out for recess or lunchtime and you're just going to take off the wig and be like, <sighs> get my feet out of those shoes. Yeah. So did that scene as well, like just while we're on that, the witch is when it's the transformation scene, like Anne Hathaway. Oh no, no, no! I'm talking, I'm talking the Angelica Houston oh, one. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That fucked me up as a kid, as yeah. as it did all kids, because when that came out in 1990, 1990, I saw that in cinemas. I did. I was four, maybe five years Ooh. old. The joys of having an older brother, like yeah. where the parents are like, oh, the younger one can Come take it. Too. Yeah. yeah. I, like two years later, I saw Terminator 2. Like yeah. it was, it's insane. Like, but it, like, I remember that fucking me up, but kind of. So he, he's not afraid of 
what I'm getting him as, him as, <laughs> as a director is he's not afraid to take it to an extreme that makes you feel very uncomfortable. No, especially early in his filmmaking career, that seemed to be almost his modus operandi. Yeah. Like that's kind of what he's going for in filmmaking, which is what I – which is what makes this stuff interesting. Like – I was saying, like, a bunch of his early films, like Walkabout, I adore. Don't Look Now, I think, is a fantastic film. Man Who Fell to Earth, I I haven't seen it for a while, but I really like. The Witches is, you know, that's its own kind of thing. But bad timing, this is the problem I have with this film, where it fell real flat for me. We were going somewhere, and then it didn't. I mean, it, But it's... then it did, but I wish it hadn't gone there. No, it's, I, I'm okay where, with where it ended up going because I kind of knew that's where it was going to go. Hmm. Um, I mean, God, we were joking about like how they pulled out the ducky speculum at one point. We were like, oh, they're doing a... Yeah. If, if you don't know at I, that point. like, but, yeah. but by, by joking about rape, we weren't actually joking. No, no, no. We were joking no. about what the, um, the tool the was The instrument called. was called. Yeah. <laughs> and I forgot. Um, no, no, I'm no, not at all. Yeah. Like, no, that is not a joking matter of it's incredibly dark and fucked up where it's this movie up. goes. Um, but it is my f- main problem with this one is I didn't need two hours and eight minutes to get me there. No. And it felt roundabout, like they kept going back, forth, back, forth, literally. Yeah. But yeah, back, forth, back, forth. And I'm like, oh, you could get there faster. And it, it, it's, like, I'm looking up, like, I'm jumping back to the Criterion synopsis here, and it's also something that's listed on Wikipedia as well, as saying that the Inspector Nutisil, uh, Nutisil by Harvey, like, played by I'm Harvey Keitel. I'm just going to call him Inspector Harvey. Inspector Harvey Keitel. Yeah. He is uh, investigating the uh, sorry details, and in particular on the Wikipedia and IMDb, I believe it's... Like, it's him uncovering what has happened. And it's like, yeah. yes, it is, but I personally would have loved this film so much more if it was... Him? Him. Like, if it was oh, played yeah. through... If it was, like... An interrogation, mm-hmm. and then we have our flashbacks. But instead, the kind of modelling device... It's character... It's delving into their characters and looking at their background, but... The character that's most interesting because they don't seem to be as problematic is, yeah, Inspector Harvey, who we want to know more about. Well, he, he to me, is essentially the audience vessel of, like, you did this, you did this, I'm trying to uncover what actually happened. He's not a character, even. He's yeah, just... But I would like him to be a character. Kind of, yeah, but I'm almost meaning, like, I, I would be suffice to have him be the guiding force that kind of pushes us back through the non-linear so he structure forced, of the he film. forces the narrative to happen. Yeah, yeah. to be like uh, like he asked the questions or something that prompt I know I'm asking mm. for the, essentially an art film to be more base. <laughs> <laughs> but but that goes for good for me. Yeah. But but at the same time it's it's I don't like I <laughs> Nicholas Rowe in particular like early in his career with performance walkabout uh, don't look now. like all that, all the stuff we've previously talked about. He, it is a non-linear structure where it's very heavily cut and sliced, and it's it's jumping around in terms, and it the, he uses editing and cinematography to make you as the audience feel uncomfortable or on edge, mm-hmm. and that works. Br- and he does it brilliantly with this film, but at the same time, at the sake of engagement. Yes. If that makes sense. That was something I noted down, that the director seems to, in that point, he does almost, the non-linear scenes are cut to almost be like contrasting to each other consistently. Yeah, yeah. Is that something he does throughout other films too? Very much so. Like it's it's a cutting from like, you know, something that's alive to something that's dead. Yeah. Like, you know, it's that Or they'd be like... In the middle of sex and then, and shaking, and then they're shaking her on the hospital table. And like, yeah, it's quite jarring to have that contrast, but similar, yeah, juxtaposition. Yeah. I I will say, like, you've reminded me, though, like, why the, the structure that he's using in this film, as it is, is why it's not totally bad is like, and it's not, like I said, that base idea of having it structured around the investigation from. Inspector Harvey 
it is it affords Teresa Russell Molina um, some agency in some degree or some ownership over her, her own story in the sense mm-hmm. of w- how we're getting presented the flashbacks and the narrative story. We're unsure which perspective. Yes. We don't know if it, it, like sometimes we're getting it from Art Garfunkel, um, uh, Dr. Alex. Sometimes we're getting it from Melina and it's, I think that's kind of wonderful. And it, it, it mm-hmm. doesn't, it allows her to be have some agency and some authority over her own story, which I think where this thing ends up is pretty important. Yes. Um, like in particular, there are some scenes like you were just saying, like her, it's intercut, like him saying, it, there's a scene of him like lying on the bed. It's like, oh, he says something innocuous and to her and then it cuts to her getting defibrillated on the hospital gurney. Yeah. And then it cuts back into her memory and he's violently shaking her, asking the same questions. And you're like, oh, this oh, is great. You're so getting is... two different perspectives of the same situation. Exactly. Yeah. And it makes it – stuff like that makes it and really – And then they flip back yeah. and then it, they were just hugging again. And you're yeah. like, ooh, whose perspective was which? But, it, but it's that thing of like yeah. it's, it's injecting those little things where you're just like, oh, you're, you're allowing – you're peppering in these clues of like we're just being presented this story from kind of all ways mm-hmm. and shapes. Um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, I didn't hate it. <laughs> yeah. Um, like you have to justify that. You're like, I didn't hate I didn't hate this movie. I just didn't – I just wished it – I don't know, if this was like a crisp 89 minutes, it would have been great. <laughs> I just had to do a translation in my head. 89, okay, that's 90. That's an hour and a half. Okay. Yeah, just under, <laughs> just like an hour 29 or something would have yeah. been great. Um, it, just, it just meandered. In particular, like you, both you and I were saying while we were watching it, like it hits a point where you're like you've built up all this goodwill and this engagement. Like it's post-Morocco. We're like, what fucking yeah. wrap it up movie? Like... We get that this yeah. is a toxic, we get that it's a relas- toxic relationship, and that it needs to end, and that something bad's about to happen because we've seen it from the very start. Yeah, but there just seems to be a lot more blah 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 in between. I don't know. Yeah, it it's is where I wrote down nothing. Yeah, it, it's I was a, like, eh. it's that thing of like we understand that she is a twenty-four-year-old woman who is a free-spirited person. She's only twenty-four. That's what they say in the oh, film, I like twenty-three, that. twenty-four. God, um, I'm old. <laughs> Who and, and it's basically Alex is upset that she's not willing to calm and settle down for her. And then he's also then equally controlling. Like, her perspective is he's controlling. And, like, it, mm-hmm. it's... Yeah, this is just Also, a there's dude. never any follow-up as to exactly what the fuck he was doing researching... Not researching, investigating... For the government? For, for the government? For the US like, government? Is this like a Cold War thing? I wrote... He's like Mind Hunter, but for the Cold War, or what? It, I said, but for the Cold War, but not sexy. <laughs> but not sexy. He's he is no he's, Alex. He's no Jonathan Groff. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm literally, like, but not sexy. Yeah. God damn. If yeah, if this okay. For the Cold oh, War okay. or on whatever, because I wasn't exactly sure. Yeah. On that <laughs> note of Art Garfunkel being not sexy, let's delve into this. Why the fuck is Art Garfunkel the star of an erotic thriller? Um, look, I th- I take it as every man, even the ones that you think are demure and intellectual and this and that, are also... I will say she did air quotes for intellectual. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, are also just as capable of being toxic and being violent and all of those things. I okay, thank you. I I lo- I love that point. I think yeah. that is That's the only de- explanation is, I have. That is a wonderful justification for Art yeah. Garfunkel being the star but, of a thriller. Yeah. It's still it's still bad. I, I was thinking- As a leading man, you never go, oh, well, may- maybe I could trust him. But maybe it's- everyone feels like they could trust him except for Inspector Harvey. Uh, uh, I was going to say Paul Simon, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, yeah. It, it's one where I was thinking the whole time of like 1980 
American kind of pop icon, and I'm using pop in the terms of like pop popular, popular culture, popular culture, yeah, like icon starring in this film. Like, what other who if if I could think of another person to pull for this role, who would it be? And I think I've got an interesting one. You do, yeah. As long as it's it, not Bowie. No, 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 no. Um, no. um American, I'm, but I'm thinking very specifically 1980 as well. And I'm, it's an out of the box thought, but I'm, I'm more. I watched the, f- I've had it pop into my Is head. It Arnie? No, no. <laughs> it's John Belushi. Oh, oh, okay. Think like. Blues did, Brothers, like when, John Belushi. When did he pass? He passed in 83, 84. Okay. But it's, it's, he was actually a wonderful actor. And, oh, yeah. And it's the thing of thinking. better. But yeah, like I, I was more like that. Is that a weird, crazy thought? But the more I imagined him, it was mainly the confrontational scene on the staircase before it turns into that really awkward like sex scene that happens, the like the, yeah, that oh, before that, that mm, but that mm, co- mm, when that mm, confrontation mm, scene started to happen, I, that's when I was kind of really thinking about what if Belushi was in this role, and I'm like, this scene would be way the fuck more interesting if it was John Belushi, <laughs> um, and I think it's, I think I'm just yearning for anyone to imbue any kind of light behind the eyes of Dr. Alex. Yeah. Because that was the problem with Art Garfunkel. Anytime I see him acting, he is just... There. I am acting. He looks like a deer in the headlights. God bless him. Yeah. So I take <coughs> I take it as... Although, yes, you were technically right. Art Garfunkel is not the, the best actor around. <laughs> he doesn't have the skill set that some of the other actors um, in other films around him may have, but it's almost like, once again, he's once of the, one of those men that you, you can't really read what's going on under the surface. He's very surface level and under the surface is actually, well, as we find out, incredibly nasty, narcissistic, ego-driven, all of those things. Yeah, it, it, this, that's where this film kind of really works well, is it? That it is a bitter indictment on toxic relationships, in particular the men who refuse to acknowledge them and are actually the main perpetrators of them. Like, yeah. How dare she be a difficult woman? Yeah, yeah. Especially as I'm in my like late thirties, early forties, and she's only twenty four. How mm. dare she want to go out and drink until the sun comes up? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But again, just I just quickly want to say, like on that note, like, but I think Belushi would still imbue that kind yeah, of symbol. <laughs> I'm stuck. Yeah. I'm, I now have in my head. I want John Belushi do. in this film. Um, but yeah, it, it's an interesting one where it. it it's. I think it addresses something that is. It's an interesting subject matter, in particular in 1980, to address in such a raw manner. Except we did have a problem, as an issue. That what was it? What was the um, crime he was um, being accused of doing? Oh, ravishing. ravishing! 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 There was no such thing as rape, according to this movie in 1980, specifically v- maybe Vienna? Vienna? in Austria. Well, I'm sure because Harvey Keitel sometimes has an accent and sometimes doesn't. I know. <laughs> um, so that's that's an issue in itself that should be rectified or talked about in some way at some point for sure. I don't know. Does the movie? It, it's it's the thing of I'm wondering if this was necessarily possibly an older script. Like I don't know if if they're just trying to not be ravishing. Over. Oh. Uh, yeah. No. I you. I I'm matching your befuddled look. Yeah. On that. Um. But you just move... say rape. Yeah, just yeah, say just rape. Just say it because it, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Um. But you said Harvey kept changing his accent. So at the start, I wrote. What the hell? Are they Americans or are they just Austrians speaking English but with an American accent? I, know. I was so confused. And then we got obviously some more details about if there's the shot where it purposely zooms in on Harvey Keitel, like you graduated from Harvard with an athletic scholarship. But I'm yeah. like, wait, 
But does that like and does that mean that you are actually American or that you got a, a scholarship to Harvard for athletics that, because you're actually European? Yeah, it's I so con- so confusing. And then um, Dr. Alex is obviously in the end we work out that yes he's oh, no, American he's, he's, when he wants no, to go he's back. One hundred percent American. And then he obviously works for the American like. Uh, Consulate or army? Consulate or army, I don't know, something military-ish, I don't know. Um, But then is Melina American or is she... Well, she has the surname Flaherty and at the end we see her in New York. Yeah, but... I don't don't know, but... but So confusing, but then, yeah, I was... Like, they were also being... For people that live in I, a country I assume, I assume where English is not the main language, they just, like, address everything in my, English. My, my assumptions was <laughs> that Melina was American yeah. and she'd been caught up in some stuff in her early 20s, which is why she had a file from the American government and they were like, hey, there's this American young girl that is sleeping with this suspect, oh, married like, to the suspect could she man. Be a spy? FYI, Denim Elliot... Marcus Brody himself is in this MVP. film. MVP. <laughs> Who has like two scenes where he speaks dialogue. He has a couple of sex scenes, but before that, after yeah. that, he has two scenes where he actually speaks dialogue and like acts circles around everyone in this film. Mm-hmm. I love Denim Elliott. <laughs> um, but it, it's, I, I assumed both Art and Teresa were American. Harvey, I'm not so sure because... I started to think, is this a Last Temptation of Christ scenario where he plays Judas with a Boston accent? <laughs> like, it's just he's incapable. He just does whatever he He's wants. just incapable of not being Harvey Keitel. Which, and when we were watching this, I openly asked you, like, is Harvey Keitel the best actor of all time or the worst? I can't you tell. Did. And I'm like, I don't know. It, it's, it's, he, he's, he's like kind of... I mean, I don't want to shit talk Nicolas Cage, but it's like when you're watching some of those lesser Nicolas Cage films where he's going absolutely insane, you're like, are you amazing or terrible? I can't tell. Um, Sometimes we just can't know. But Teresa Russell, let's let's talk about her briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, I I honestly think she's amazing in this film. She's naturalistic. She's she's believable. She has the heavy lifting to do in terms of performance in this. She she has to play both sure-footed mid-20-year-old independent woman as well as Harpy who is destroying a man's life depending on what perspective the film is presenting to us. Mm. As well as woman on a on a hospital bed being having seizures while remembering past trauma. Like it's <laughs> It, it is a harrowing performance, and I think she absolutely kills it. Yep. Um, it, it's one where I looked her up on IMDb while we were watching, being like, I've, I've always known and really liked Teresa Russell, but what kind of happened to her career-wise? Because like, she was consistently great up what until... What she in? Uh, the, the, in terms of like the one thing I think you'd know her from... Uh, mainly because it's something that we watched recently. Oh, okay. She plays Denise Richards' mother in Wild Things. Oh, I don't remember her mother in Wild Things, but I remember that was a movie. Um, I mean, it's the thing of I, I Spider-Man 3, which I watched last week, that she's also in. Yeah, I don't think um, <laughs> I got as far as Spider-Man 3. No, it, it's – but, like, her early – like, her first film is uh, she's maybe eighth or ninth build in Ilya Kazan's uh, adaptation of F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Last Tycoon alongside Ooh. Robert De Niro, Tony Curtis, Robert Mitchum, Jack Nicholson. Okay, like, so big names. That's her first film. And then she is the second lead opposite uh, Dustin Hoffman in Straight Time, which is a film that I absolutely adore. And then... Uh, Another her, word with time in it. Yeah, and then her next film is Bad Timing. Uh, so she's off, like, immediately, like, you are a interesting, beautiful, young ingenue, essentially, and, um, you know, raises edge with Bill Murray, uh, like, works quite a bit with... Um, Nicholas Rogue, which I'll get into in the trivia. Mm-hmm. But then it's around about 1990, things kind of just stop. Did and she kind go of off f- and have a proper life? Like, it's the double-fold thing of, like, which I'll kind of... Spoiler alert for the trivia, she ended up marrying Nicholas Rogue, and they oh. had a bunch of kids together. 
Well, that's what I meant by proper life. Yeah. I'm like, go off and do what you want. Well, a woman doesn't have to have kids to be proper, Claire. Oh, I know that. <laughs> Calling you on your shit. I didn't mean that type. I meant just like not out in making movies the entire time. But me being the more cynical, like Hollywood business-minded person. Oh, yes. I think she was market corrected by someone. <gasps> what does that mean? Basically, it's like a sports <laughs> term of like someone is basically, uh, you know, they're in this certain lane and then someone comes in with the exact same skill set and is overvalued above them Ooh. and basically shuts them out. Okay, yeah, yeah, I get it. Sharon Stone. <gasps> because of? Basic, basic instinct. instinct. <laughs> but yeah, it is like it's a similar acting style and it's a yeah. similar look and it's a similar vibe. Is and there's it- nudity? Well, I mean, well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's unimportant. Um, but because that's the thing, like, because fuck you, like Sharon Stone got undervalued because of her nudity. Yeah, I know. That's and what she I got mean. pigeonholed because of that. They, I think that they both, have, from what I've seen just tonight, and and then that, like, I feel like they were both probably pigeonholed and it's like <laughs> they they they're happy to get real naked. Yeah, like to a certain degree, I guess. But it, it's more a thing of I think. It, they're both of the same caliber of actor, to be honest. Like, I, there's no reason Teresa Russell couldn't have gone on to play De Niro's wife in Casino, or have, or play um, what's her name in Basic Instinct? It was like a week ago. Um, fucking, well, she's the writer. God, the writer. You know, psychologist lead. It's just Sharon Stone and Sharon Michael Stone Douglas. Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just everyone's just playing their real names. <laughs> Inspector Harvey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, I wonder if it, it's one of those scenarios where it, it's someone that, like, it's a Rachel Lee Cook and uh, um, Anne Hathaway. Oh. Like the yeah. like that's yeah. you get what I mean. I know, like exactly. someone who has the exact same skill set comes in. And just, sort of just takes over. Takes it. And then, yeah. And then it's not there for the others to grasp in the same way. Yeah. Exactly. That That's what I'm meaning. And that's why I'm wondering, like, Plus what... Plus life gets in the way. Yeah, yeah. But um, Teresa Russell, I think she's absolutely fantastic in this film. She's the standout performance, I think, because she's doing the heavy lifting because she's having to play off of Art Garfunkel, who is a block of wood with googly eyes. That's mean. <laughs> But kind of accurate. It's mean. Um, what else did I have down? Um, okay, I had a question. Yeah. Between, and it might be his style, Mr. Brogue's style, but the color tones between different shots changed. Is that just a sign of the times, like they had different cameras or different like film quality? Or was that purposeful? Uh, I think in this particular film it was purposeful because the first... Well, it's, it's really probably the second scene we get of the two of them as characters, uh, both Alex and uh, Melina uh, connecting as characters, is uh, doing the schlocky home psychology test of the colour test. Oh, yeah. On the hood of the car and using that as a... We're going to manipulate colour as this thing goes through to yeah. kind of show the waves of where this within, is going to go. Within a scene, they would flip, like, the tone of... It's like someone yeah. put a filter on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he has been known to do that previous, like, in some but cases, but it's, it's not, not as overt. <laughs> it's not as overt as in this film, um, which makes me think it's, like, a kind of leaning into the colour test. Yeah. Because okay. it's like, why why spend so much time focusing in on that book? Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of filmmaking, it's like, I got so frustrated with this, um, the sound mixing in this film. Yeah, you did. There was multiple times and multiple scenes where it would be... They clearly had not recorded any Atmos or room tone, and so it would be like the audio would drop, like fade in for dialogue, fade out, fade in, fade out. And it happens so frequently that I'm like, you're not that bad of a filmmaker. Is this a purposeful thing to make, put us on edge and make us feel kind of like, I don't, I'm, this is awkward or there's something's unnatural, like kind of in the way that when you're remembering something, you're kind of half remembering it mm. or you're remembering it in a weird way. 
Let's but. let's take it as the second option there because the first option just means that it was annoying. Yeah. The second <laughs> option means that it made us feel a thing. Yeah. So let's give them the benefit of the yeah. doubt. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, I know. What, what else did you have on your the notes that you took um, there? What else did I write down that was anything, anything interesting? Um, nothing. Oh, hold on. Um, so... There was a time, there was a scene on a bus and all of a sudden Chris and I started singing a little bit because we're like, oh, CSI theme song. Oh, yeah. So they, oh, oh, that's loud. Um, Who are you? Um, So we started having a little sing and then it played again later, but it quickly like faded out each time to like basically back to the score. Yeah. Um, That's what was super weird about this film, like the... A lot of it primarily being classical music and then it's like, here's a Billie Holiday song. Here's a, mm-hmm. Well, it opened with a Tom Waits song, which was like, okay, that's kind of setting a specific mood for the mm-hmm. film. And then out of nowhere, it's like, it's. I mean, you draw those connections where it's like Garfunkel is giving his lecture on the idea, the identity of, or not the identity, the idea of the psychology of spying, and that we've all been observers or spies, and then he here he is He's stalking being a spy. someone who is related to Molina, and it's just hilarious watching it in twenty twenty two because the music that plays is the CSI theme. <laughs> like, oh, well, you are a bit of an investigator. <laughs> it just does not, yeah. and it's like, no fault of Nicholas no, Rowe. No, it's, he couldn't predict CSI. Not just that, but it's also like if you think about it in nineteen eighty, he's just like, yeah, this is pretty fucking cool, right it's now. Not even the actual CSI, it's probably like CSI New York or something. No, no, that's OG oh, CSI. I can't for remember. Sure. That's okay. that's the OG. Yeah. I know my William Peterson. Oh. <laughs> I've barely watched that show. Ever. Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting like that kind of not wanting to bring modernity into it, I guess, as much yeah. with like. But by modernity at the time was like two years old. Oh, that's, that's modern as shit. It was modern as shit. That's yeah. like someone putting in like a little Nas X song into a movie now. Yeah. Like it's not like that's modern. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's an interesting one because it meanders for such a long time, purposefully so, um, to kind of give you the full spectrum and I like understanding of this relationship, but how it ends on such such a toxic, horrible criminal nose. Um, you wanna you wanna Make it more concise, I guess. Um, I th- like for me having it meander for so long and then kind of ending on this sh- this shock. It it didn't diminish the shock value, but it made it kind of less impactful almost because I knew it was building to that at that point. If that makes sense, um, and I just wish it like you know more economic in his filmmaking style, I guess. I'm out of words. I know you. I'm like you're just shaking, yet nodding in agreement. It's a it's an audio medium. You need to. Yeah. I need to actually explain my thinking. Yeah, but um, what was I guess we're kind of wrapping up here. Like, I mean, I will throw out as well. Like, um, he's known completely for his non-linear narrative devices, his bizarre editing style. Um, there was some sublime cinematography. I loved how at least for the first half of the film, any shot of Teresa Russell, she had that golden glow, like that noir lighting across her eyes. Oh, I did not notice that. Yeah, it, it's like these little details to kind of, and it's like whenever you're being, she's being presented through art's kind of perspective, it's that, you know, mm-hmm. she's a golden glowing kind of goddess. And then she loses it in the second half. Exactly. Oh. It's, it's There's like these beautiful Okay, so little... you can really tell that he was cinematographer and he thought about all of those ideas and that took, yeah. was what he took into his directing. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. There's, there's these little lovely flourishes throughout it, but it just didn't it kind of culminate into a cohesive film for me. Like it's, mm. it's one where like I get it, but just... I think the the non-linear back and forth and the jarring things made me less, I don't know, going with the flow of feeling everything. It's him doing something he'd done before with Don't Look Now and he 
Every time we say don't look now, I think of don't look up. I know, I know. Uh, it's yeah. Trust me, one is way different. the fuck better than okay, the other. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's something he's done before, but better. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. And building to an equally traumatic crescendo. Mm, but did no, not like it. No, no, like a oh, different, the, different, but like tra- okay. equally traumatic. Traumatic, yeah. Um, kind of crescendo and ending of that film. It To this one, it just seemed more like he's wallowing in exploitation and he wants you to feel like shit and really watch the decay of a relationship. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, th- those are my final thoughts. Do you have, do you have any? Um, no, give me the, um, trivia. Is trivia? That what, is that what it's called? Yeah, I'll, facts? Go, I'll go through some trivia and oh. while I am, think of a tagline. Okay. Uh, the film won the People's Choice Award at the 1980 Toronto International Film Festival. Uh, the film did not find favour with the rank organisation who were the producers that actually funded, the production company that funded the film. Ooh. A big pr- production company at the time. Uh, one executive calling it a sick film made by sick people, uh, made by sick people for sick people. As a result, the rank logo was removed from all UK release prints of the film. Uh, the film was controversial upon its release, being blah, 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 blah. Um, it was given an X rating in the United States and it went unreleased on home video in the United States until 2005 when the Criterion Collection finally released it on DVD. Oh, Criterion. I mean, who kept <laughs> it in the dark? <laughs> no, you, that's What, harsh. you mean the company that put out Salo? Oh, <laughs> 120 yeah. Days of Sodom? Yeah. No, it's one where it's like, okay, yeah, good yeah. on them I for recognize, actually. I recognise yeah. the purpose, but yeah. Uh, a little bit of alternate casting here. Ooh, uh, not Belushi? No, not okay. Belushi. Uh, Sissy Spacek was the original choice for Melina. Okay, I can see. That but... would have been interesting. I, I adore Sissy Spacek. So um, this is, uh, we obviously talked about it a little bit. Uh, director Nicholas Rogue and actress Teresa Russell fell in love during the shoot and married. Uh, t- uh, Russell was 22 years old at the time. While Rogue was already 52 years oh, old. Oh, I was going to ask how... Mm, yep, okay. Uh, they were married for many years, had two kids, but then eventually divorced. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is the third rock star that began... <laughs> that began as a 1960s sensation who Nicholas Rogue directed, the first being Mick Jagger in performance, then David Bowie in The Man Who Fell to Earth, and then Art Garfunkel. Uh, Dana Gillespie, who had a small role in the film, uh, she was the lady who was in bed with Art when... Oh, yeah, the yeah. Call. Yep. Uh, <laughs> she also became a popular singer uh, starting in the late 60s. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Uh, that's some trivial trivia. Trivial trivia. Yeah. Love it. We're going to get dark to end the trivia now. Oh, I'm no. sorry. Uh, in this film, Art Garfunkel plays a man whose uh, former romantic partner attempts suicide by taking an overdose of pills. While this film was being shot, Art Garfunkel's real girlfriend, Laurie Bird, committed suicide by taking an overdose of Valium. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh. That's some weird meta mm. trauma right there, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make comments on it because I don't know where... Yeah. But all all I'll say on that is it it would be interesting. I mean, this is a very morbid curiosity. Yeah, that's what I mean. Don't like it. <laughs> um, I'd be intrigued to see what like what scenes were shot post. Oh yeah, you mean like would he have different emotions? Yeah. Okay. That that like in terms of how it affected his performance and what he was doing within the film like i i would find that interesting but that that is a bizarre that is a bizarre fact very bizarre fact that i thought was interesting Mm -hmm. and obviously a bit of a bummer but anyway have you got a tagline for this film i do what hold on what was it i've written it down um, toxic masculinity, this time with 100% more Art Garfunkel. <laughs> All right. Parsley, sage, and thyme. Oh. And he's dark? <laughs> the, the look on Claire's face was 
Yeah. I don't know if I'll post that one to Instagram. <laughs> Sorry for laughing. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Dark jokes. So I get to win automatically? I think you get to win automatically <laughs> on that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess uh, now would be normally when we'd ask you, you're what do you think this film is about? But obviously we don't need that yeah. for this episode. But I said... Basic Instinct, but in the early 80s, and it wasn't. Surprise, surprise. No. Uh, So we'll go into the actual Criterion edition itself. Uh, It's currently out of stock. I don't know (laughs) if that means out of print or if it's going out of print, but uh, the Criterion edition. But it is available on the Criterion channel, and it has the special features of a new interview with uh, director Nicholas Rogue and producer Jeremy Thomas. New interview with Teresa Russell, deleted scenes, original theatrical trailer, behind-the-scenes production photos and original posters, as well as the usual booklet and essay that Criterion usually do. Yeah, so not not bad. Some, some okay features for that one. But we will be back next episode with another Nicholas Rogue. Um, Two in a row. Did they do that on purpose? Yeah, of course. Um, we and normally when they <laughs> I do, don't know. <laughs> sorry, normally when they do that, we we would do like a double feature episode. Oh, but yeah. considering this one is like two hours eight minutes, and the next one's like two hours fifteen, and they're quite se- separate in their um. Yes and no Ooh, at the same time, like okay. alienation. Like I mean, yeah. Ooh, some no spoilers. I've not seen themes, the other one. Um, it was also like after we did the Andre Vizier box set, Lee was like. Never again. Like it's, it's never again it's can I so do that hard. many in a row. Yeah, it, it gets tough. So we should give each film its own due. So I think that's what we're going to do. At least, you know, some most things. Of the time. Most of the time. Uh, but we'll be back in a fortnight's time with The Man Who Fell to Earth with, uh, with any luck, special guest Eric, uh, my former co-host of the podcast. You haven't seen that. Uh, I have not sat down to record a podcast with him solo for quite a while he was on our life aquatic episode mm-hmm. but uh otherwise i'm looking forward to that but as usual uh all the standard stuff you can send us an email at the criterion quest at gmail.com twitter criterion quest instagram the criterion quest uh the patreon um when Ooh. this comes out i believe uh in a week or two we'll be dropping our lee and i recorded a feature-length commentary for titanic we sat down for three and a quarter hours straight and wrapped uh, So rap put on laps, your life vest and strap in. Yeah, we, we, we wax rhapsodical about Titanic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was fun. Claire popped in maybe once or twice. It was fun. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, all, all that stuff's in the episode notes. You, you know where to find it. Uh, we uh, appreciate the support. Otherwise, Claire, thank you for jumping on this episode. Thanks for having me. Uh, nothing uh, screamed Claire more than an erotic gar- Art Garfunkel ball sack film. Mm-mm-mm. I'm glad that I missed the ball sack and I'm glad I didn't wear my glasses. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for this week's episode, I'm Chris. And I'm Claire. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.